what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Fear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve, and what you preserve I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab, and you have walked in their counsels, but I am making a desolation, and your inhabitants be hissing, so you shall bear the scorn of my people. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. As we turn to um, Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. saw Jesus addressing the crowds and the disciples and warning them against the scribes and the Pharisees. And today Jesus addresses the scribes and the Pharisees directly. So it might be a helpful exercise for us to imagine how you might feel if you were one of the crowds or the disciples listening in on Jesus as he addresses the scribes and the Pharisees. So Matthew chapter 23, verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, 
If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? Then you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like the whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly be righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witnessed against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel, the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. For Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I, would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her food under her wings, and you are not willing? See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, wonderful to see you at church uh, on this uh, very chilly uh, Sunday morning. Welcome especially uh, to those who are joining us for the first time. Uh, my name is Huey, and uh, I'm uh, the minister, the primary minister of this congregation, and it's a, a real joy and delight to have you uh, with 
us this morning. Uh, well, it'd be good to have Matthew 23 open in front of you, um, and I'm going to lead us in prayer that God will help us to listen and to understand His Word this morning. So will you join with me uh, as I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for the great privilege it is to listen to your Word. Uh, how wonderful that we can come together and open up the Scriptures and hear the living God speaking to us. Uh, Father, we pray that uh, this morning as we uh, turn our attention to the things that you have to say, uh, that you would give us soft and malleable hearts, uh, that uh, we might heed the things that Jesus says and teaches, and that we might live for him wholeheartedly. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, this morning I want to begin by showing you a photo, uh, which is going to come up on the screen behind me. And uh, I want to ask you, uh, what is wrong with this photo? Uh, apart from uh, the, you know, <laughs> the team um, that, that's up there, which uh, I love, um, what is wrong with this photo? And uh, apologies if you don't know anything about uh, Manchester United football team. Not many of them know. Does anyone see what's wrong with this photo? Just uh, throw up your hand if you can... Tell me what it is. Anyone? Yep, Ian. Yeah, thank you. So one of them is, is not a real player. Uh, did anyone else spot it? Um, in fact, the guy on the far left uh, is actually um, you know, not part of this famous team. Uh, it's actually a guy called Carl Power, who is an English prankster uh, known for dressing up uh, as the real deal and photobombing pre-match um, photos with famous teams. Uh, he's done it with Manchester United. Uh, he's done it on Centre Court at Wimbledon. Uh, and he's done it uh, in the famous Ashes series uh, at Leeds. Uh, you see, he, he is a guy who tries very hard to look like the real deal on the outside, isn't he? But in reality, it's something very different. Uh, now, we've been working our way through Matthew's Gospel, as you know, and uh, Jesus has been speaking a lot about the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees, who were the teachers and leaders of Israel. And uh, you might remember that um, Jesus' understanding of hypocrisy uh, is a little bit like that photo. Uh, hypocrisy, according to Jesus, is looking a certain way on the outside, uh, being religious and pious and righteous, wanting other people to, to see you in that way, but having an inward reality that is very different. And uh, in today's passage, you'll notice that uh, Jesus judges and condemns the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees in the harshest possible terms by pronouncing woe upon woe on them. And so, uh, if you have a look at your uh, Bibles, in verse 13 he says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. But this is judgment language by Jesus, isn't it? 
He repeats it again and again, seven times. Verse 15, woe to you. Verse 16, woe to you. And so on. Now, now friends, uh, I just want to impress upon you uh, the utter seriousness of hypocrisy according to Jesus. Uh, you know, we often use the language of hypocrisy uh, very lightly. We might say things like, well, you know, we are all hypocrites. I'm sure, I know I've said that uh, often. Or we might say things like, you know, if you're a hypocrite, you come to our church. You will fit right in here. Uh, you see, we, we say things like this, and uh, in my sense, there is an element of truth to uh, what we're saying here. But I want you to see just how serious Jesus takes hypocrisy. Verse 15, he calls the scribes and Pharisees children of hell. In verse 16, he calls them blind guides. In verse 33, he calls them serpents and a brood of vipers. That's some of the harshest language coming out of Jesus' lips in the entire New Testament. Now, it is true that Jesus, um, as Kaywon mentioned, is not addressing the disciples here. Uh, rather, he's speaking directly to the scribes and Pharisees. And so I don't think this is meant to be a condemnation um, for those who are following Jesus, uh, people like you and me, perhaps. But it is meant to be a warning. And so will you and I take this warning seriously? How seriously uh, are we taking hypocrisy? Why does Jesus judge and condemn the Pharisees in this way? Uh, well, uh, we're given a number of reasons for this passage, aren't we? Um, but the first reason you can see there is that um, these scribes and Pharisees were leaders who led other people astray. Uh, you can see this um, in the first two words that Jesus pronounces upon them. Um, and so uh, in verse 13, Jesus says that these Pharisees shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Think like they're, like they're bouncers who are sort of shutting the door uh, at the door of heaven so that other people can't come in. Now further, in verse 15, Jesus says that while they proselytize or win converts to Judaism, well, they actually make their converts uh, children of hell. In other words, while they look like teachers and leaders who would lead people to God on the outside, well, the reality is that all they do is lead other people straight to hell and to God's judgment. Now, you know what the really sobering thing about this part of um, the passage is? Um, I think the really sobering thing about this part of the passage is that there is actually no hint that these scribes and Pharisees were insincere in what they were doing. I mean, it's not as though they were purposely trying to lead other people down the wrong path. But you can see there in verse 13 that not only did they shut the kingdom of heaven in other people's faces, but they themselves don't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, in verse 15, not only do they make others a child of hell, but they also 
children of hell as well. Further, it's not as though the scribes and Pharisees were lazy or half-hearted about their religion. I mean, we're told here that they would travel across sea and land to win a single proselyte or convert to Judaism. Uh, this morning we have the privilege of uh, uh, being joined by a few missionary families uh, at our church, and uh, perhaps you know they have travelled across sea and, and land to, to win uh, converts. But I'm guessing that not many of us would go to the other side of the world just to win one person over to the Lord Jesus. See, the scribes and Pharisees were astonishingly zealous about serving God. But you see, it is possible, isn't it, to be sincere and even zealous about the things you believe in and still get it so wrong. Uh, I was reading this week about uh, the bubonic plague which uh, swept through London in the 1300s. But uh, you know what they did? Um, Rather than locking down the city of London, which is sort of conventional wisdom for, um, for dealing with plague and, and, and uh, 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 things of that nature. Uh, what the doctors did at that time was that they told people um, to travel across the country so that they could get some fresh air. And so rather than containing the plague, what happened was as people went out into the countryside, they actually spread the disease all over the country such that millions and millions of people died. You see, uh, it was sincere and even zealous advice, but it was practically mistaken. Just like these scribes and Pharisees. And that's why, friends, we must never think that just because people are sincere and zealous about their religion or what they believe, they will find entry into the kingdom. Evaded the law of God. 
trained in obeying what the law of God was actually all about. In keeping the details, they appeared religiously righteous on the outside, but in reality, on the inside, they were not interested in actually doing the things that God was speaking to them. And so, for example, take the law on making promises or, or taking oaths that you find uh, in various places in the Old Testament. What was the law of oaths in the Old Testament really about? Well, it was really about teaching the people of Israel about faithfulness, about keeping your promises, about keeping your word, such that the law was really a, a reflection of the character of God Himself. But what did the scribes and Pharisees do? Well, you can see there in verse 16 that they started making fine distinctions, saying, you know, if you swear by something uh, by the temple, then it's not really binding. You don't have to uh, keep that promise that you made. But if you um, swear by the gold of the temple, then it is binding. Or if you swear by something, uh, if you swear by uh, something by the altar, then it is not binding. But if you swear something by the sacrifice that is on the altar, then it is binding. Jesus says, I think it's very different, doesn't he? Jesus says, are such fine distinctions are rubbish. For when you make a promise or an oath, uh, you are really doing it in front of God. And that's why Jesus says in verse 20, uh, these words, he says, So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and, if, and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in the temple. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. How about the law of tithing? Uh, you might know that in the Old Testament, the Jews were required to give a tenth uh, of their possessions to God. But what was the law about tithing really all about? Well, it was about teaching the people of Israel how to be generous, wasn't it? Just like the God who had saved them from slavery in Egypt and given them uh, the entirety of the promised land. Do you see what the scribes and Pharisees were doing in verse 23? We're told that they kept the letter of this law uh, to the extent that they went into their herd gardens and sort of picked off every tenth herd in order to give to God. But they completely missed the spirit of the law, which was about being generous, about being gracious, about being merciful. Jesus says in verse 23 that they had neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and vengeance. You might notice that these are not actually laws, are they? Uh, but these are principles behind the laws. They speak of the spirit of the law that the people were to do. But the scribes and Pharisees were so intent on concentrating on the details there intention for them altogether. You see, that's why Jesus calls the scribes and Pharisees blind people. You notice that? In verse 16, he calls them blind guides. In verse 
verse 17, he calls them blind fools. In verse 19, he calls them blind men. Why is he called them blind? Well, it is because they just could not see what the law of God was really about, or perhaps more accurately, they didn't want to see what the law of God was really about. They would rather focus on the details. They would rather major on the minors, rather than keeping the spirit of the law and doing the weightier things of the law. Because in reality, they had no interest focused on straining out an insect from their cup of tea but completely missed the large camel that was swimming in it. Now, some of you might know that before going into Christian ministry, um, I was a tax consultant. And so uh, my job was actually to help people keep the letter of the law so that they could obey the spirit of the law. See, our clients have spent millions of dollars on tax consultants and lawyers and so forth to help them figure a way to keep the law. They didn't want to break the law. They want to keep the law. And they want to find out a way to pay as little or no tax as possible. So that's why the tax legislation is so huge. I don't know what you see in the tax legislation, but it's about that big. Because uh, these tax consultants and lawyers keep on finding loopholes and ways around the law so that they don't have to obey the law, and the government has to keep on writing legislation to kind of close that loophole. But what is the taxation law about? Well, it's a law that says that if you are privileged enough to have a job, then uh, you should be generous so that wealth can be distributed to those who might need it more. My job was to help people who were wealthy, but not people who were poor. Now, I seem to be hinting at that particular sin as you were Now, I, I realize that uh, as disciples of Jesus, we are no longer strictly bound by the Old Testament. Rather, the uh, uh, New Testament says we are bound by the law of Christ. Uh, but I w- wonder in what ways might we also be tempted of fitness, but we miss the more important things that Jesus teaches us. Uh, perhaps it might be uh, when we have guests over at our house, we can be so consumed about getting that house perfect and the food just right that we fail to love people the way we ought to love them and show hospitality. It might be that we are so fixated on the flower roster at church very little time to love our friends and neighbors who are fellowship with our Christ. There might be any number of things, and perhaps uh, that's something we can discuss together uh, over morning tea. It's not that the details are unimportant, but it's so easy to get caught up in the details that we miss what Jesus is really about. If you uh, keep on going in this passage, you can see that uh, in woes 5 and 6, uh, Jesus gets to the heart of the problem.
problem of what is wrong with these scribes and Pharisees, uh, which is really the problem of the human heart. And we saw this last week, didn't we? So I'm not going to go too much into it. But um, you know, the scribes and Pharisees are those that looked good on the outside, but they had hearts that were far from God. Now, the images that Jesus uses to describe them are quite striking uh, in those words, aren't they? In verse 25, he describes them as a cup that is clean on the outside, but dirty and filthy on the inside. In verse 27, he describes them as a whitewashed tomb, which uh, uh, looks clean on the outside, but on the inside is ceremonially unclean and full of death. But uh, here's the thing, friends. and Pharisees did. Well, it manifests itself in the rejection of God and his messengers. When you have a heart problem, it manifests itself in the rejection of God and his messengers. In fact, the greatest indictment on the scribes and Pharisees, uh, I think, comes in the seventh and final woe, because Jesus says to them, that they are the ones who stand in the tradition of Israel's past leaders who have constantly rejected and persecuted and killed the prophets who were the messengers of God. Now again, notice that the, the Pharisees want to look good on the outside. And you can notice in verse 29, for example, that they are the ones who build tombs for the prophets and erect huge monuments in, in honor of them. They're the ones who say that, you know, that if, if we had lived in the past, then we wouldn't have put those prophets to death like our forefathers did. But what does Jesus say? Well, Jesus knows their hearts, doesn't he? And so he says to them that you are no different from your forefathers. He says in verse 21, Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. In other words, you bear the family likeness of all those who have killed the prophets in the past. In fact, if you remember in Matthew's Gospel, it is these very scribes and Pharisees who have already rejected God's prophet in John the Baptist, and they are now plotting to kill the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's why Jesus says that judgment is imminent for these scribes and Pharisees. Look at what he says uh, in verse 32. Jesus says, verse 32, fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? You might know that the language of filling up speaks of God's patience, kind of reaching a boiling point, reaching a limit. A bit like a wine uh, goblet and uh, someone pouring wine into it until the level just reaches a certain point before it flows over. You see, God is patient, but his patience will one day reach its limit and flow over in terrifying judgment to 
does the reject thing is the ultimate understanding. And it's conceivable that God will allow the scribes and Pharisees to do further damage. Well, notice in verse 34, Jesus says that he will send more prophets and wise men and scribes whom they will kill and crucify and flog and persecute. Uh, if you are a careful reader of the Bible, you might have noticed that Jesus here is claiming to be God himself because he is doing the sending of the messengers just like God did in the Old Testament. But Jesus says he will send his messengers and the scribes and Pharisees will reject them and persecute them and kill them just like their forefathers. And this is exactly what happens. In chapter 28 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus sends out his disciples to make other disciples of all nations. And in the book of Acts, the, the leaders of Israel will continue to reject and persecute and kill the ones whom Jesus loves. But the point is that judgment is imminent for those scribes and Pharisees because God's patience is about to run out. Not only with the scribes and Pharisees, but if you have a look at uh, verse 36, God's patience is about to run out with the entire generation of Israel who have rejected their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, now, friends, um, this is a rather depressing <laughs> chapter, isn't it? And uh, we've seen a lot of strong language from Jesus here um, against the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, such hypocrisy makes you blind, says Jesus. Such hypocrisy makes you a serpent like Satan. Such hypocrisy makes you liable for hell. This isn't Jesus being a liar. This is Jesus, the terrifying not as though Jesus is simply being spiteful or vindictive here towards those who oppose him. Uh, it's possible uh, sometimes for uh, those who don't like Jesus very much to caricature towards him in this way. But no, Jesus is not like that because we see that even in the judgment that Jesus issues here, what you can see is that Jesus' heart actually aches for those who are about to perish. And you can see that in verse 37, where he says these agonizing words. Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. delight in the judgment of those who have rejected him. Jesus does not delight in condemning to hell those who are not willing to receive him 
straighten out their lives in the days of the sinner. And yet the point still stands. God's patience is running out, and judgment is imminent all over the world. That's why Jesus says in verse 38, See, your house is left to you desolate. The house that Jesus is speaking about there is the temple in Jerusalem. The desolation that he's speaking about there is the departure of God from that temple. Which in the Bible is always an ominous sign of judgment. Whenever God leaves his temple in the Bible, that is an ominous sign of judgment. Such as in the book of Ezekiel, where you remember God departs from the temple precinct. But here Jesus is saying that God will leave the temple. And interestingly, just a few verses down in chapter 24, verse 1, what happens when Jesus walks away from the temple? Verse 9. But here's the thing. Now, even though judgment is imminent for the scribes and Pharisees and the entire generation of Jerusalem, rejected God and his messenger. But I want you to see that this passage ends with a wonderful note of hope. For Jesus gives a small glimmer of hope, even to those who have rejected him. Can you see it there in verse 39? Have a look at verse 39. Jesus says, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See what he's saying. Judgment is about Jesus leaving the temple so that you will never see him again. Salvation is about seeing Jesus again. And what Jesus says to the generation of Israel who have rejected him is that even you will be able to see me again and be spared the judgment of God if you will receive me as God's ultimate messenger. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, friends, uh, the rest of the New Testament reminds us that, in fact, uh, we live in very similar times uh, to these scribes and Pharisees that are described in this chapter. For you just have to look at our world to see that we live in a generation that has largely rejected. time when God says that judgment is just around the corner. In fact, uh, in Romans chapter 2 verse 5, the Apostle Paul says to all of humanity who rejected Jesus, that it's because of your hard and penitent heart that you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. You see, it's very similar language to the language that's building up God is storing up his wrath until his patience runs out and he will judge the world for rejecting the one he has sent. But just as in Jesus' day, there is hope for those who, who in the past have rejected Jesus but who now stop rejecting Jesus as God's messenger. 
hoping that we live in a time and generation that has largely turned its back on you and your messenger and is fast heading towards the day of judgment. But we thank you for the great reminder this morning that even for those who have rejected your son, there is hope that they turn back to you. So we pray for our world, we pray for our city, our family, our friends, our neighbours, those who do not yet call Jesus their Lord, that you will be merciful to them, that you will save them. Father, we pray that you will use us to bring the good news of blessing and goodness to them. We pray that you will turn their hearts to be able to bless the world Jesus.